0: Welcome to Product Momentum, where we hope to entertain, educate, and celebrate the amazing product people who are helping to shape our community's way ahead. My name is Paul Gable, and I'm the Director of Product Innovation at ITX. Along with my co-host, Sean Flaherty, and our amazing production team and occasional guest host, we record and release a conversation with a product thought leader, writer, speaker, or maker who has something to share with the community every two weeks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our conversation today with Gavin Dedman. Gavin is coming to us from London, England today, and our conversation is one that I've been looking forward to for a while. He's a prolific writer and just a coach at heart. There's really no other way to put it. He cares deeply about the product leaders and product managers in our industry, how to help motivate teams, how to build and nurture a growth mindset. And I just really appreciated the practical approach that he brings to all of his conversations. I know I learned a ton in what we unpack today, and I'm sure you will too. So without further ado, here's Gavin Dedman. Well, hello and welcome to the pod. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Gavin Dedman. Gavin's a product coach based in London, coaching a product team of about 150 product managers and product leaders within the division of Flutter International and Flutter Entertainment. He's a servant leader with 23 years of product and marketing experience who advocates for an empowered and learning culture. 10 of those years were working in product management and 13 in acquisition marketing. He's also worked in the gaming industry now for over 12 years. Gavin, so happy to have you. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Absolutely. Now, I want to dig in by unpacking just a little bit of your background because it's so intriguing. This world of acquisition marketing is probably going to sound foreign to many folks in the product space. Can you just unpack how these worlds collided for you and a bit of your story around how does someone with a business background like this succeed in product management?
1: No, absolutely. So, when I think of product management and acquisition marketing, there's a lot of similarities from my time working in acquisition marketing, such as for example, the data-driven decision making, including like the AB testing and experimentation, you know, that's decades old now when it comes to acquisition marketing, having a focus on the quality of customers relevant for both acquisition marketing versus, you know, product management. Then looking at conversion rates and the pain points, whether it's the conversion funnel or throughout the product itself, looking at the pain points, looking at the customer behavior and then optimizing them. Mm. That's, you know, 101 acquisition marketing and product management as well. And generally as well, when you look at the cause and effect relationship for both disciplines, very relevant.
0: The kind of data driven decision making that you're talking about, is that something that you see as too much of an echo chamber in product management today? Is there a lesson that we can learn from acquisition marketing that maybe there's not enough of in the product space today? What do you feel like product managers can learn from this world of acquisition marketing?
1: Yeah. So it's coming down to the purpose and the role that product plays on the wider business. So when you think of the product, what is the purpose of the product? It's to drive customers and customers will then drive the business. So products will drive the business. That's the purpose of it. It's to grow the business. What's the purpose of acquisition marketing? It's to grow the business by getting new customers in. And that's where the similarities are. So that's where in terms of mindset from a product point of view, it's really important to think of like, why am I working on this initiative? Or why am I looking to solve this problem? How are we gonna measure success? There's a reason behind that. It's not just to deliver product changes live to customers and seeing customers engage with that. That's good, but it needs to be something that customers are willing to pay for. It's something that's going to drive the business because otherwise it's a question, why are we doing it? If it's not going to grow the business, it's not going to grow the product. I love that.
0: One of the things that we talked about in the conversation before the pod today, it resonated when you were talking about how we really want to be very discreet about who we choose to go and talk to and I think this decision making of we're in this to run a business a product only succeeds if there's revenue if there's cash flow and sometimes at least in circles that I travel in, it seems like there's almost an altruism about everybody is the target market, or there's a persona that's almost too broad. And I think there's a lesson to learn, or at least that I took away from our talk about how we really have to be more selective about who it is we're trying to help and how we're trying to help them. And it's only when we can put those two things together that you can really build a product that's going to really change the world and not just fall flat or be a mile wide and an inch deep, so to speak. Is that reading too much between the lines or am I getting close to the kind of things that you're thinking about?
1: No, that's spot on. I agree that, you know, you're going to have a certain demographic that's going to buy your product and it's really important to understand them like through the personas and build that empathy for them. So then you can target them efficiently with products that they're going to love and they're going to actually buy and they're going to be loyal to, you know, that product and that brand. Really over time. But yeah, I think one thing that really helps product managers build that empathy for their customers is really understanding the customer pain points, like whether it's app reviews or it could be customer support queries. And that's where it really brings home actually what we're doing and what is the reason for doing this. And actually you can see customers giving feedback and it's responding to that. And as you respond to that feedback, you grow the business and you you see the numbers come through rather than just thinking, right, we're going through this process of building a product, actually building it for the customers because that is going to grow the business.
0: Well said. Well said. You're a prolific writer. And one of the things that we are trying to deal with is something that you've written a bunch about. It ties into this concept of figuring things out and working together as a team. But one of the things that coming out of the pandemic and figuring out how hybrid return to work fully remote fits together is this concept that you've called handoff culture. And this impacts the problem that we're jumping off of because communication has become systemically fragmented, right? The designer designs the mock-ups and hands them off to the architect. The architect assesses the feasibility and hands them off to the product manager. The product manager writes the stories and and so on and so forth down the line. And it feels like a lot of our conversations have turned from organic, spontaneous, creative, empathetic conversations into a process and being beholden to the process. And I'm wondering, this is something that, I struggle with in leading a team of intelligent, creative people. How do you break through this handoff culture that we're starting to see in, in this post-pandemic, post-return-to-work world?
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really good point and a good subject to unpick. So when I think of pre- pandemic and pre-COVID what life was like for a product manager so typically when you think of product it's a core part of the business it is the business so typically that would be in-house the product function will be in-house marketing's in-house because that's a key driver of growing the business and whilst the business could be global and there could be calls that you'd have to make with people that people are quite comfortable with typically the core functions would be co-located in the relevant market that you're operating in So in terms of collaborating with people day-to-day, whether it's the developers, the rest of the business, marketing, it becomes really easy. You know, you can speak to five people within an hour, quickly make decisions and progress. It's quite easy, you know, everyone like working together towards a common goal. And it's quite real, you know, when you're actually working with human beings in the flesh, it becomes quite natural in terms of why you're there, what is the purpose, where you're heading and why you're solving specific problems. But I think now looking at the like covid and remote working it's now created an element of divide in terms of solving problems in you know an efficient way or what is the purpose of solving that like problem or building a product so beforehand where it could take one product manager that would typically do both the product manager and product owner role that would be embedded with multiple scrum teams which you know you would manage the dynamics of spending time with stakeholders and developers which was quite natural and it's relatively easy but now it's actually there's a lot more people doing the role where because to collaborate with people you have to organize zoom meetings work out diaries and talk to people get that alignment and it can take more time especially when it comes to making decisions so generally when you look across the industry there's a lot more I guess specialist roles to do smaller parts of the overall job. So that's where you have a product manager focus on discovery and now commonly product owner focuses on the execution delivery and that's where well supporting roles to help people through that process to get ideas to customers. And that's where I think when you look at you know agile it's caused a bit of a challenge when it comes to agile transformations where it's going a bit backwards I think pre covid I think people were accelerating their agile transformation and it was relatively straightforward to move it from say waterfall sort of environment to more iterative product development Mm -hmm. because the product manager was embedded within the development teams and the product manager is a business representation. And that's the big part of say scrum having that business representation or business representative with the development team, making them decisions in terms of priority, vision, strategy, whereas now for example, across the industry that's happening further away from the developers more than it has been for the last five to 10 years. So it's really gone a step back, I believe, in terms of that decision being made close to the development teams.
0: Yeah, I think you're diagnosing a really hard to pin down problem. And if I could just kind of summarize. The way that I'm observing this intersection with what you're talking about, it seems like there's a handoff culture, so to speak, in a good way where we've gotten really efficient at having conversations. We've gotten really efficient at making decisions and not necessarily pointed in the right direction all the time because things are moving faster. We're iterating more quickly. But it seems like the problem that you're starting to describe is one of, if I could put it this way, a healthy friction where going a little bit slower because we're bumping into each other because the product manager is embedded and translating the user's needs and pain points, there's a conversation that used to happen a lot more organically that we can still have. It's not mutually exclusive to be remote or have collaboration, right? You can collaborate remotely and a lot of people have cracked that code. But what you were just saying is there's almost a step of healthy friction that we need to build back into the process where we've almost gotten too efficient for our own good. Is that close? Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think there's an extra sort of element to it. And that's, I think, remote working, I I believe it's harder to skill up. Mm. So now when you're, say, looking for a product manager, maybe they've got less skill sets than they used to have like five, ten years ago, because you'd normally naturally absorb all the different skills from all the different disciplines, whether it's business acumen from marketing or commercial team and just being sitting With developers, you naturally pick up some of the technical jargon that you normally wouldn't do. Whereas now, actually, whether it's a product owner, product manager, picking up all the different skill sets that's needed, whether it's, you know, from the discovery side, research and execution is a lot harder. Mm. So that's another element where I think it comes down to trust whether I think businesses do trust whether now in this, current sort of climate whether they could trust someone to have all them skill sets or they're capable of having that you know from the ground up because it is a lot harder to learn I think for an individual that's brand new into product management or product ownership to comprehend all of the different disciplines of running that business within a product is quite hard so that's where it's sort of quite natural now to break it down into multiple different roles So I think that's an extra dynamic that I think is added into the reason why there's a bit of a handoff culture now that we're seeing across the industry, because one of them is a skill set shortage of having all of that, you know, the, the general role together.
0: I love that. And one of the things that's coming through clearly, just to change subject slightly, but to bring sort of what you bring to the table back into the conversation, it's so clear that you care deeply about product people and teams that product leaders support. And a lot of people throw the term servant leader around. And I think it's become a little bit of a buzzword. But when I hear you talk, you really care about changing this situation and helping organizations learn and grow differently. Can you tell me what does it mean to be a servant leader in terms of skills to hone? What are the things that a product leader as a servant leader can bring to a team that just a rocket-fueled product manager you know, might miss? What does a servant leader in a team look like these days?
1: Sure, so I'm extremely passionate about servant leadership. And even when you're looking at like modern leadership and management courses, such as the Institute of Leadership Management. They've got that now in the curriculum. You know, a big part of that is servant leadership. So servant leadership for me is focusing on developing people. That is a crux of it. So whilst, you know, it could be a product leader, they're very much focused on or feel like they're focused on directing the team and literally really focused on delivering that strategy. And there's a lot going on it can be put at the bottom of the pile often in terms of actually the priority is developing their people because ultimately the people that's going to develop the business and adapt to change and the complex and competitive environment is a people and it's a lot better to have hundreds of people thinking rather than one so multiple brains are better than one so the more you can develop the people the more that the business can develop as well I think there's an element as well of trust so there is a lot of investment that a product leader needs to make with developing people and it does take time and it can be i'm sure cause a bit of anxiety to think right if i spend that investment and that time in people they might leave after two years but actually if you create that environment that people don't want to leave even if they can that's a challenge for a leader is to keep them motivated that actually you've got an exciting product you've got exciting problems to solve and they are feeling challenged and they are contributing to you know solving those problems and you know typically human beings they like to feel challenged that is a big part of you know being a human they generally strive to actually want to learn be challenged and help and drive the business forward and giving them the opportunity to do that it's remarkable what they can achieve given that chance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, and I think one of the things that is a challenge at the moment is I think when it comes to the skill sets of a product leader in terms of servant leadership, when you look at the industry, they necessarily haven't got a lot of that experience in terms of product's practical experience or mentoring. So it's really hard for them to develop their people when themselves haven't got that skill set. So I think the next generation of potential Product leaders will come up from the ground up and and they'll have that experience. So we're in that sort of phase at the moment where the next generation of product leaders are going to be, I think, more servant leader driven.
0: Yeah. And it's almost impossible to be a servant leader without having a growth mindset. If you've got a fixed mindset and what you see is your role and I can never exceed, or I can never grow beyond the data. And we look at things from a fixed mindset in order to be a servant leader, by definition, you must have a growth mindset. And I want to spend just a couple of our uh, last questions around this idea of mindset and motivation. So growth mindset, I think, you know, the concept Carol Dweck introduced in her landmark book a couple of years ago, I think, Growth mindset has been around in, in the industry for a while, but as it applies to the idea of products and people, we almost have to have this idea of growing teams and culture. You mentioned building a place that's so sticky that people don't want to grow. And but even if they do, we're making the product community a better place by building product leaders. We're making a rising tide that raises all ships. How can a product manager introduce a growth mindset deliberately to their thought process? I'm I'm wondering about how can we look at data. A-B testing, your past life as, a, as an acquisition market? How can we look at all these data value stream mapping kind of quantitative activities and bring a growth mindset into the people and the products that we're building systems around?
1: Yeah, good question. And it's a really good point. I've read this somewhere and I think it's a really good phrase is around treating your like personal development and yourself as a product. So typically when it comes to product management, you know, one of the skills is to be like quite curious and ask, you know, good questions to understand why your customers are behaving in the way they are. How can you find you know, new opportunities to solve problems in an innovative way and looking at gap analysis, you know, SWOT analysis in the market, your product. And you can apply a lot of that to your own, you know, personal development. So SWOT analysis, what are your strengths, weaknesses, self-reflecting. So self-reflecting on the product, what do customers think and why, What is reality look like and where do you want to get to? What are the gaps? Similar to your current, you know, self-development as a product manager, you know, what does good look like in terms of expectations? What does reality look like? What is a gap and where do you want to get to? And I think it's really important that people don't stop learning. So as you become a product leader, there's always an opportunity to continuously learn and then help and develop your people learn as well and showing them how to learn because it's not easy you don't wake up the next day suddenly you've got a growth mindset it takes a lot of nurturing and years of trying different methods to find out how you learn as an individual what methods make the most impact and how can you apply your learning but it is really easy once you found out how to learn and what impacts you can make from learning then that's a lot easier
0: Well said. I think the last part of that servant leadership thread that you unpacked or began to unpack was around the concept of motivation. You spend a lot of your time coaching product managers and product leaders, and I'm editorializing a little bit. But for me, the difference between a coach and a cheerleader is that a coach's job, it's kind of back to that concept of a healthy friction, right? You're, as a coach, challenging people to think differently and to make them Professionally uncomfortable a little bit, and to find those uncertainties and build them into certainties and future proof their careers. So, as a coach and thinking about this idea of motivation, how can a product manager, especially one who leads other product owners and product managers on a team, build skills that are critical for the future in their team? How can a product manager or a servant leader act as coach, to build this idea of motivation within the team. Is there a sweet spot of just enough challenge, but not too much? Or is it our job to just remove obstacles and make everything easy?
1: Yeah. So it all depends on the level of skill of the individual. So I would recommend anyone that's leading other people or teams or managing other teams. They go on, first of all, courses like ILM, level three, leadership management, and that's where they're really teach you the differences between management and leadership, which can often be confused that they're the same thing, where they are different things. And also really good techniques. One of my favorite techniques which would help product managers in that scenario that you mentioned is a will and skill technique. So depending on the individual's will and skill, you'd apply a different technique. So if someone's got a low skill and a low will, you would direct them, like tell them what to do. If someone's got a low skill, but then high will, you would mentor them to increase their skills. And then if someone's got highly skilled, but then a variable will, then you would coach them and ask them some questions to actually... Unpack and the bound like what's stopping them from reaching their full potential? They're more than capable of doing it because they've got higher skill, but there could be something that's just unblocking them, like confidence or imposter syndrome. So it's just unpacking that and, and creating that awareness that actually they're more than capable of doing it, and giving them some ideas and options to progress and to reach their full potential. And then the last one is delegating, where they they're highly skilled and they've got high will, and you delegate, which is basically empowering. So yeah, the last thing you want to do is like empower someone who's got a low skill and low will because it's likely not a lot will get done. And equally, if someone's highly skilled, you don't want to necessarily direct them because that'll demotivate them and no one likes to be micromanaged when they've got highly skilled. So yeah, I think following that balance and using techniques like that would really help product managers on their journey to both improving their leadership skills and people management skills.
0: Well, it wouldn't be a product management conversation if we didn't work a quad chart into the conversation. So we've got our two by two, the will and skill matrix. I'm going to use that. That's a really great insight. And I think a really great tool for how leaders build a a conversation about what type of role a person is going to fill on a team. You've got my wheels turning. That's a great ad. I've just got a couple more questions for you to wrap up our time together. The first is one that we ask of all of our guests as we close our conversation. I'm wondering, can you share for us, just off the cuff, what does the term innovation mean to you? How would you define innovation?
1: So I would define innovation as solving a new or existing problem in a unique way.
0: And the problem has to be new. How do you differentiate between a new problem and an old problem?
1: So an old problem would be more of a a solution. So it could be an existing solution or There's already a solution live in the market. So you're just solving that in an innovative way, really. And also, it doesn't just apply to customer problems. It could be process, ways of working, anything day-to-day that you're working on, looking at how you work and just solving it in a more efficient way. Because some people can think, right, innovation is all about coming up with shiny new features, brand new products. But actually, it could be just a small part of the product that's important for customers solving it in a more modern way or solving it in a better way that fulfills a customer needs or internally a business needs or team need, whatever it could be.
0: Great distinction. Last thing before I let you go is what would you recommend a product manager have on their bookshelf or what video or blog post have you found to be inspirational? What would you say is required reading for a product manager who's trying to level up their career?
1: So I would say any book or website or blog by Stephen Haynes. I'm a really big fan of Stephen Haynes because his foundational thinking is around business acumen and the key element of making decisions from data and using data, which is fundamental. Yeah. And I really like his sort of techniques and principles and values essentially. So yeah, I'd recommend searching for Stephen Haynes on Amazon to check out his books.
0: Yeah, and he's actually a previous guest on this very podcast or uh, fans of Steven as well. And he's a friend of the pod. So great at and fully agree. His insight is really, I think, pragmatic for the times. So Gavin, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure unpacking these ideas with you. I think you've got some really great takes and I think it's going to help a lot of people. So appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Well, that's it for today. In line with our goals of transparency and listening, we really want to hear from you. Sean and I are committed to reading every piece of feedback that we get, so please leave a comment or a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Not only does it help us continue to improve, but it also helps the show climb up the rankings so that we can help other listeners move, touch, and inspire the world just like you're doing. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next episode.